This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Ken Smethers. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money here in SiriusXM's Business Radio Channel 111. That's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smethers, a professor here at the Wharton campus in Philadelphia. Remember, we are live every Tuesdays from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern. That's 2 to 4 p.m. For those of you on the left coast, and the purpose of this show is simply to help you make better decisions with your money. In the first part of the show, we have to focus on ways on how to increase your productivity and your income, or in today's case, save money negotiating that next car purchase of yours. Then the rest of the show, I typically talk about ways to wisely spend and save that money, including things like paying down debts, buying insurance, and of course, how to invest your money. Really, the most fun part of the show is we take your calls throughout the entire show to give you advice on what to do with your money. Remember, you can also connect with me online by going to my website, kentonmoney.com. I confess I haven't updated the blogs there in a while. I'm working on that. Uh, be patient with me. But I do have a list of, uh, of financial advisors. Again, fee only. That's what we always try to get you to remember. Not fee-based, but only fee-only um, on this show, financial advisors uh, that I've also pre-screened for my Approach to low-cost passive index investing. Again, it's kentonmoney.com. So today I'm joined by three great guests. Well, the first will be Philip Reed. He's an automotive writer at Nerd Wallet. We're going to be talking about his recent article about how to negotiate uh, your next car uh, purchase. The article is called Car Negotiating Secrets for People Who Hate Haggling. He's been on the inside himself. We'll talk about that in just a second. And so you definitely want to get some tips there. Now, later in the show, you know the routine by now. I have a couple of financial advisors with me taking your calls as answering your questions about all your financial needs. The first will be Paul Hines, who's the president of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management. We're going to talk about some elder planning issues and later welcome um, David Frisch of the Frisch Financial Group. And we'll talk about retirement and state planning. But again, all the advisors on the show are generally trained and so they can handle any questions about anything um, with your fi- uh, own finances. So if you want to know how to invest your money, save for retirement, your kid's college, life insurance, paying down debts, maybe grandma just left you a billion bucks and you want to know what to do with it, really anything with your money, that's the show's name, live on Tuesday, so go grab the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four wharton just like the school name, W-H-A-R-T-O-N. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, And we'll talk about your own situation. Remember, you only have to give us your first name and the state you're calling from. So never a reason to be nervous or shy. And thousands of other listeners will benefit hearing advice given to you about your own financial needs. So my producer, Michelle, is standing by and ready to line up your call. So again, live on Tuesday. So pick up the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four wharton That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And we'll talk about your own situation. With that, let me introduce my first guest, Philip Reed. Again, he's the automotive uh, writer for Nerd Wallet. He's located in Long Beach, uh, California. And uh, although he's the automotive uh, writer for Nerd Wallet, he previously worked with the automotive uh, site Edmunds.com. You certainly heard of that website. Probably have gone to it a few times before buying your next car. And he did a lot of you know, national radio and TV appearances for them. And part of that, in uh, he worked as an under uh, that job. He actually worked as an undercover car salesman, and which he culminated in an article he wrote got a lot of publicity called "The Confessions of a Car Salesman." And so that is uh, he's he's been on the inside uh, figuring out how these guys 
uh, get as much the, uh, money from you as possible. And uh, he, again, he lives in Long Beach, California, and he, he writes in his bio after owning two electric cars, he now drives a 1997 BMW 328i with a five-speed manual and a sports package, which he bought for only a nickel, I, my producer tells me. I'm kidding. Welcome to the show, Philip. Oh, it's good to be with you. Thank you for that introduction. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, why did you give up the two electric cars and go with the 1997 BMW 328i? What was the reason? Yeah, well, you know, there's always a lot of serendipity with car buying. Um, short answer is that I leased the two electric cars. I think you should probably always lease electric cars because yeah. the technology is moving so quickly. Yeah. And I came to the end of the lease, and... Um, a friend of mine runs a website called Clipnik where he finds like mm. really good deals on used cars. And he said, hey, check this car out. It was close by. I had money in my pocket. Uh, I wanted to start shifting gears again, believe it or not. Yeah, I grew up on the stick. You know, I actually oh, did my first driver's test on the stick. It, and until they, I realized every time I took my one hand off the wheel, I got deducted. I was like, dude, how do you drive a stick for us <laughs> for a driver's test? Okay, no, enough about that. So we're going to be talking about some car negotiating secrets for, again, people who hate haggling. So you mentioned in your article, Philip, that you've been on the other side of the negotiation desk before. You know, you mentioned earlier you've been kind of dark cover, deep cover here for the car sales. Talk a little bit but about that experience. What did you learn? Yeah, well, when I was first hired uh, by Edmunds.com, and this was back in 2000 before the Internet had really taken over the car business, uh, they said, go get a job selling cars so you learn everything about it. But before then, I had already written a nonfiction book about how to buy a used car and also how to lease cars. So mm -hmm. I had a good background, but I had never been inside the industry. So I was hired um, by a local dealership. Uh, Nissan, and I sold cars there for a month and a half, and then I moved over to Saturn, now defunct Saturn, mm. and I sold cars there in sort of a non-haggle uh, environment. But right. the it was is that why they're uh, defunct? They didn't haggle. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think that they uh, just had to cut the fat at GM. Yeah, but. Um, it was incredible experience and uh, such a good background for what I'm doing now. So, what type of shopper gets a, you know the, the best deal? We kind of have the stereotype: you got to go in there and just you know, you you own that conversations. You're the alpha dog, all that type of stuff. You know, in your experience, you know, does that work? What what type of shopper gets the best deal? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's funny because that is the the what you just described is the viewpoint that most people have about negotiating is you got to go in there you got to be tough you got to be confrontational yeah. uh you do have to certainly at times be tough and you have to be very specific and you have to be you know really willing to walk out um i don't think you really have to be confrontational yeah. in fact i spent uh, when i was uh I spent time researching an article, and I, I uh, sat with a professional negotiator who negotiates car deals all day long for consumers. And uh, he was not – it was interesting. He had all of the phrases down he, because I think a lot of negotiating is knowing why they said what they said and how you should respond. And he had really good responses to certain mm -hmm. things without – making it personal without making it confrontational yeah. because ultimately they want to sell you a car and you want to buy a car. Yeah. So you have mutual needs. And, um, but, but, yeah. you know, I think one of the things is don't make it personal. Yeah. So, yeah. And I often find the aggressive, you know, confrontational, at least what they talk about in negotiation courses here is sometimes it actually triggers the wrong response. It makes the other side feel a little defensive. So if anything, they become aggressive. 
themselves. And so, okay, so let's talk about some of your your great tips in your your, your article um, about how to negotiate, you know, a car. And then you have five big tips that we'll kind of break down. The first one is about knowing your numbers. And so, I guess the first question about that is. You know, the, our stereotype is the car salesman is always going to highball you, go with the biggest number first, and then it's our job to try to, you know, you know, figure that out and uh, you know, figure out how to undo that. So is that true? And then if it's true, I mean, how do you kind of go about diffusing that approach? Yeah, well, um, of course, uh, information is the bedrock of good negotiation. So uh, what we have these days is we actually have – um, information, pretty accurate information about what cars are selling for. So we're talking about the transaction price. So we're talking after somebody finished negotiating, what did they pay for the car? You can find that number uh, on three sites, uh, at least three sites, uh, Edmunds, uh, True Car, and Kelly Blue Book. And they basically just get information from dealers, and they run it through an algorithm, and they arrive at a, what they call a true market value figure. And if you know that figure, that's your target. Of course, you'd like to be under it because it's the average, and you don't want to be over it unless there's some extreme situation like you're looking for a color that's hard to find or an option set which is hard to find. But that gives you the territory in which to negotiate. So if you were to walk in there and they were to hit you with, like, really what they call in the business stupid high numbers, Mm -hmm. uh, and you knew what the number was, you would know you were in a place where they were really out to fleece you and maybe you didn't even want to deal with these people. But if it's fairly close, then it's like, yeah, we can probably make a deal. But, you know, and then, of course, the game starts where you try to get them to name a figure first. And then, you know, based on your research, you can go below that and see how they react to your offer. That's pretty classic negotiation. And I, and. Sometimes people don't even want to go that far, no. you know. So that's why I introduced some of the other numbers. What, uh, so your, your, one of your takeaways there is you want them to be first in, in uh, revealing the number. Why is that? Why, why, why don't you want to be first in, as a buyer in putting a number down? Yeah, this is a really important point, and it kind of boils down to the adage, the first person who speaks loses. Hmm. I'm not sure whether you've ever heard that no. before. But let's say you're going to negotiate over something, and the guy says, you know, throw throw out a number. You know, do, you make an offer, and you've got a number in your head. But you say to him, no, you 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 give me your best price. Now, what if he names a price that's well below what you were about right. to offer? Right. Right. <laughs> and so, like, if I went into a car dealership and I said, well, I've gotten a few offers on cars. Um, give me your best price. They would say, well, tell me what you've got and we'll beat it. Yeah. And you, you know, at that point, you really need to say, no, I want to hear your best price. Yeah, because yeah. they're going to have to guess what they have to beat yeah. at that point. And it just and simply... We ma- will undercut it. Yeah, and it just simply maximizes your option value as the, as the buyer. Because obviously, if you offer, you know, I'll... Twenty-five thousand dollars, and they say, "Okay, <laughs> we'll do it." Yeah. You can't go back and say, "Oh, well, about twenty-four thousand uh, dollars." Yeah, in, in, in fact, if you say, "Oh, you know, offer you twenty-five thousand," they say, "Okay, you probably didn't do a very good yeah, job." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, you, there's other numbers that you say you should know about besides just the current market uh, value. Talk about some of those. Yeah, well, there's three really important numbers to know 
when you're shopping for a car. So everybody knows about the sticker price, which is also called MSRP, Manufacturer's Suggested Retail Price. And this is a number that's generated by the factory. So they build the car and they put a sticker in the window. And it's sort of what they want to get. On the other end of the spectrum is what the actual, actually the dealer paid for the car, which is the invoice price. Now this is, there's a lot of moving pieces in the car business, so it's approximately what the dealer paid. So naturally, if the dealer paid 25,000, he wants to make some kind of a profit on that car. So you're probably gonna have to pay above, above invoice. And then the third figure is the true market value, which we talked about before, which is research that you can find on several websites. Now, there's a couple other things. I mean, it's really good to know, first of all, what incentives are available. Mm -hmm. So this would be cash back, or it would be low interest financing, or it could be a lease special. And you need to not only know what the incentive is, but how it factors into the price. So let's say there's $2,000 cash back, so you would negotiate your best price and then deduct the incentive, not use the incentive to get you to a good place. Right, right. And, and, and certainly, and you also talk about the, you know, knowing the trade-in value of the, the, the vehicle, uh, including your current vehicle and some of the estimated fees and local taxes. I've heard that sometimes the, even the dealer invoice price is not the true cost, um, simply because there's additional dealer incentives that they might get, yes. you know, 3 or yeah. 4% and so forth. Um, and, and so how do people find that out? I mean, is that being tracked kind of publicly? Um, it used to be, of course, they want to hold that back as much yeah. as possible. That That's usually called dealer cash. It's yeah. not published anywhere. They don't want you to know about it. And you're really, to some degree, you're sort of getting into their business if yeah. you say, well, I know there's $2,000 dealer cash on this, and I want every penny of it. You know, that's the kind of thing that's going to make the uh, negotiation go downhill real fast. But if you were to say, I know that there's probably some dealer cash on this, and if you share it with me, you know, I think we can make a deal today or, or, or something like that. So um, so there isn't an easy way to find out about the dealer cash. Um, you, you know, in some cases, if you walk in and they say, we'll sell it to you for below invoice, you can bet there's dealer cash. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and there's also a lot of sharing of information among buyers now, too. So in forums and things like that, people will tell you what they pay. But generally speaking, people don't really understand car pricing very well, so you have to be a little careful when you read that. Yeah, and I think things like dealer cash, is, it's, the intention is to make it low opaque so that you know you feel like you're getting – a, a good deal and so forth. And so I'm speaking with Philip Reed, again, the automotive writer for Nerd Wallet, located in Long Beach, California, and he's uh, wrote a recent article about how to get kind of your best deal or how to negotiate um, for your car. And, and again, car negotiation secrets for people who hate haggling. If you have a question in particular about cars and buying cars, just give us a call here. Live on Tuesday is at yeah, one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine zero four two seven. Eight six six. So the first point of your article, you have these five uh, best tips. The first one is knowing your numbers. The second is uh, negotiate remotely. In particular, you, you don't have to be, you know, physically at the dealer to negotiate. Um, especially nowadays, that's probably you know happens much more of the internet and so forth. Um, and you know, I've even you know uh, used some of the chat thing. Most dealers now have a little chat thing. Might um, make it use it recently just to figure out if a car was actually in inventory. But will they take you as seriously if you're negotiating, you know, remotely, or will they take you maybe more seriously? Because in some sense, your demand elasticity is a lot higher. You could just simply switch to the next website. I um, mean, your thoughts? 
Yeah, well, when you are remote, um, you, you know, you have a lot of leverage, and leverage is really important in negotiating. And your main leverage is that you're not there. Yeah. So how are they going to get you into the dealership to buy this car? It has to be a very attractive price. Um, the, the, this, the tricky part as a shopper is sorting through the responses that you'll get. So there are sites like at Edmonds, we had a, a feature where you'd call up a car, you'd option it, and then you'd click five boxes of local dealers and say, you know, give me a price on this car. And then you would start to get bombarded, you know, by email yeah, um, yeah. from the dealers. And by the way, one tip is real important is to create a uh, new Google account just for car shopping. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that way makes you sense. keep every, everything separate and you can also get a Google phone number. That's been very important yeah. because you you will get deluged. But it's kind of funny because even though emails and those things are very impersonal, you can get a sense of the person behind the email to some degree, um, you know, whether the, they're well-spoken or, or well-written in, in this particular case. And I, I like to follow up with a phone call. So if I get a good price and, and I have somebody who seems to be responding intelligently, I give them a call, and if I get a good feeling over the phone about this person and my level of trust with them, you know, then I may be willing to go to the dealership uh, to, to get the car. But I try and get all of the numbers locked down beforehand. I try and ask for a breakdown of all the fees. Mm-hmm. Because the real important thing to do is make sure that they uh, don't quote you a really good price, but then put in some kind of a bogus fee. Yeah. Take profit back. Yeah, I notice when I try to communicate remotely, they, they're constantly saying, please come in. They don't say, actually, please. When can you come in and make it sound very kind of assertive? Um, and, you know, that it's it, even before answering your question, when can you come in? Um, that's to certainly be expected. When you call up a dealer or even kind of in a chat box or something like that, I mean, is there a particular person you just ask for a salesman? Like, who should you be asking? asking for um, uh, the, in, in, in trying to f- figure out the kind of the best price? Yeah, I, I, well, um, these days, every dealership has some kind of an internet department. And the internet department operates almost um, independently of the, uh, the, the sales force, the conventional sales force. And those are the guys that you see hanging around at the front of the dealerships or hanging around in the, in the um, showrooms and so on. The Internet Department usually works out of an office in the back someplace, and they're mainly communicated by email and telephone. So if you're calling a dealership, you can ask for the Internet Manager. And uh, one other thing that's kind of interesting about the Internet um, uh, Department is that there's quite a few women that work there. And if a woman is more comfortable dealing with another woman, this is a good way to shop. Um, Most of my experience was that it was almost completely male-dominated on Mm. the sales showroom floor. And it can be an extremely uh, intimidating atmosphere. Uh, For example, you know, there were times when they would gang up on customers. So if there was somebody there by themselves, they'd put two or three salespeople on them. And it just made sort of a physical, physically threatening. And and I'm not saying that all dealerships and all sales um, people have this model, but it does happen, and you almost have to be prepared for anything when yeah. you go to a shop. I mean, it's 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 an incredibly valid point that this is kind of the pressure experience and how that maybe 
it varies uh, by gender. Are the folks in the internet, you know, uh, the department, I mean, I typically will get, well, no, I have to get a salesperson on the line and so forth. They, they always struck me as odd. They, they don't seem really, it's like they're just managing the chat room. They are managing the calls. So they're not really in a position to negotiate. Is that just a kind of a tactic you know, along with, you know, I have to go at, you know, if you're actually act, act a dealer, I have to go ask my manager, you know. I mean, t- talk to me about some of those tactics that are being um, used. Are, are those are just tactics or do they really have to go off and fetch a price and um, things like that? <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of the classic, Yeah. right? Uh, I'll, I'll take your offer to my boss, you know, and then they leave you sitting there forever, which it still happens. I mean, mm. every, everybody remembers the movie Fargo. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where the guy took the offer to his boss and they just watched a hockey game for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I it's, just it's, I just remember the wood yeah. chipper in Fargo, but I, I, I trust. Oh, <laughs> I'm just trying to forget that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, there, there there is. Well, there's what they call the sales manager in this. Yeah. In the most of the the junior sales uh, people <clears throat> on the floor will have to take an offer to be approved by the sales manager, and the sales manager will review the offer and say, well, go back to them and ask for this, you know, and they go back and forth. Well, in some cases, if you reach the right person in, in the internet department, they don't have to play that game. Mm. They have the autonomy or, or the power to set price themselves. And very often, an interesting note is that the prices are set by them sort of secretly soliciting quotes from neighboring dealerships. So it stands to reason that they would want to know what the dealership down the street is selling a Camry for. Sure. So they, you know, they make up a fake address and ask them for a price, and then they undercut that price by 250 bucks or something like that. Yeah, I mean, so, but but it is very important to to reach that person who does have the power to either negotiate or set price. Yeah, so I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, in the, the mystery shopping that certainly happens with a lot of industries. I heard it happens quite a bit. Um, with this uh, uh, market uh, as well. So it seems like, you know, I always viewed that, you know, we have to make you wait a long time to see if, you know, if you're really patient, you don't value your time so much, or so you're willing to wait for kind of a real, uh, uh, wait for the better deal. Whereas if you're kind of impatient and you're, they see you walking around and so forth, I always view that as kind of a, a proxy for kind of demand elasticity, whether or not you're willing to really, um, you know, how much you value your time and so forth. Um, so in any case, I'm speaking again uh, uh, with uh, Philip Reid, and is, uh, he's the automotive writer for Nerd Wallet. And about his recent, recent article, uh, Car Negotiation Secrets for People Who Hate um, Haggling. And again, he has five points here. The first one is know your numbers. The second is negotiate remotely. And the third one is shop your Price and so, what's the best way to kind of shop a price if you if you've been offered uh, you know a, a price against kind of other dealers you know how you how you shop that around? Yeah, well, probably since this is for people that hate negotiating yeah. or hate haggling, um, probably the the best way to do it it's kind of like a warning shot across the bow. If you're talking to a car salesman and you say, you know, I've shopped around a little and I've gotten a few prices, mm-hmm. what's your price? You know, and and they will hear exactly what you're saying, which is, I already know the market value of the car. Yeah. 
So right now I'm looking for the, the best price possible. Now they will try to get you to name to name what you got. Yeah. Um, you know, and then they say we'll beat that price. You know, and as we discussed earlier, you want them to to talk first and just say no. I'd like to know what your price is. You know, I mean, it is a kind of ridiculous thing that depends on how you uh, conduct yourself, and you know, um, everybody's going to pay a different price for the same car. Yeah. You know, something really crazy about that. Um, and I think modern consumers are really hated. You know, the car business is a really outdated um, sales model, a retail model. Yeah, it, it seems, you know, is this, why is this haggling happening in this market, home purchases? Is it simply because these are big purchases or is there something unique about these markets? Well, one thing is that car dealers are one of the most politically powerful groups. Mm. So they have the franchise laws. So it's interesting to note that you cannot buy a new car except from a, uh, a franchise dealership. So yeah. you, can go to a, you can go to a broker or a car concierge, but it will come from a dealership. Yeah. Uh, you can't order it from the factory and have it you know, flatbedded to your, to your front door, which is what they would like to do. But since the dealers are so powerful, they can't change those laws. So they've been able to hold on to this at a time when everything else is changing. But I think that um, the car business will change at some point pretty radically, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it's certainly, it, 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 uh, Tesla and others have faced that, you know, a, a problem um, if having to have kind of dealerships in, rather than just kind of work with brokers. And even Costco, their car buying program, ultimately, they have to link you to, back to a dealer. Um, and it, essentially, it seems like they're trying to, reduce the haggling part um, uh, of it. But nonetheless, it seems, you know, like you just said, it barriers to entry. Politically powerful groups always want to have um, barriers to entry. So uh, again, so your, your three main points that we covered so far are know your numbers, negotiate remotely, shop your price. And then your fourth point is be unpredictable. So explain what you mean by this. I mean, is there a system or a pattern that you know, uh, salespeople sh- are uh, look for and trying to <laughs> get the highest well, price. Yeah, yeah you, you actually brought up a really good example, which is if they say, "Well, wait here, I'll take your offer to my boss." Yeah. You know, it, at that point, if you say to them, "Well, you know what? I forgot something in my car. I'll be right back." Well, all of a sudden, that guy's sales manager is going to see you walking out of the dealership yeah. to your car, and he's going to say, "What the heck is going on? Your customer just walked out the door." You know. Um, because believe me, they will let you sit there for a long time. Yeah. Uh, in, in some dealerships, I mean, in some they're straight ahead and upfront and, and so on. But that's the thing that makes this tricky is that you just never know what you're walking into, or hopefully not walking into, but shopping remotely, as as we discussed. That's why I, I like to sort of call ahead. I like to communicate a little bit. I like to find out about a dealership before you go. Um, and I also like to work with people that I basically like and have some um, degree of trust with. I mean, sure. if I go in there and meet with somebody who's really old school and tries to control me, I just don't want to have anything. To yeah, do. I and, don't want to get into a battle. And, and besides walk, walking with your feet, are there other kind of ways that you know you recommend people can yeah uh, show that they can't be easily controlled? Yeah, well. Um, in, in my article, I talk about a friend who used to always go car shopping with his uh, little toddler. Mm. And every every time negotiations broke down, he'd pick up the 
the kid and start to put him in the in the car seat, you know. And this was his way of sort of saying, you know, we're out of here. Yeah. Well, it's going to take a few minutes, so if you improve the deal, ah. thanks, you know. Because the classic is you walk out and then they whistle and say, okay, we'll take your offer and yeah. come back in. But you know what? Why go through all that game playing? That's it's just a lot of hassle. Yeah. Some people do. And your last point, in fact, is about negotiating with your feet. So, you know, it's the famous walkout threat and so forth. So what's what's the right way to do that and kind of be, you know, effective? Well, you know, first of all, you do have to let them know that you're a real buyer. Yeah. So you say, you know, if, if, you know, if we can reach an agreement on price, I'm ready to buy, you know, because they're all about, you know, today. You know, like, can we make yeah. a deal today and all, all that kind of thing. So I, I would think that, um, you know, first of all, if they're going to take the offer to the boss, say, you know what, I'm a, I've got a time frame here. Yep. And, you know, I'll wait for five or ten minutes, but that's that's it. Otherwise, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, you know. And if they don't respond, then, you know, really it's time to, time to move. So you need to kind of lay the groundwork um, right up front. And it's interesting because they're paying attention to all the – they're in the sales business, they call it qualifying customers. Mm. Uh, you know, and I think when you display a level of knowledge and preparation, it sends a huge message right out, right, right out of the gate. Yeah, fantastic. Again – uh, to summarize, uh, Phil's five points, know your numbers, negotiate remotely, shop your price, be unpredictable, and negotiate with your feet. Philip uh, Reed, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a fantastic article. I enjoyed it. Thanks very much for, your, uh, for inviting me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.